Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You are listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin with The Good News. Hey, it is Angie Austin with the Good News team. We've got producer Dave here. We've got our radio friend that you probably heard if you li- used to listen to KLZ AM 560. Eric Raymer is here, and uh, Eric's a PR guy now, and uh, he's got a lot of things going on with his magic show. He's got an illusion show coming up in June, uh, June 22nd to be exact. Correct. And then also Donna Hetzler is here, author, speaker, and uh, ministry woman. She uh, started Jericho Girls to encourage and uplift women. Hi, everybody. Hi, hey. ministry woman. I like yeah, that. Ministry woman. And I'm getting my voice back. I was competing with you last week, Eric. You know, I had the deep voice. And <laughs> right? Yeah. You, know, wow. you look fantastic. And, and folks, I told you Angie would be back. Yes, we missed you. Is. Here I am. <laughs> yep. All right. So um, I want to ask, Donna, you've been doing uh, quite a few uh, blogs. Uh-huh. And yep. uh, I like to oftentimes just ask you, uh, before we get to our good news story, uh, which is really cool, actually. Um, anything that's on your heart that you've been writing about? I'm, yesterday you mentioned complaining, that you're trying to make sure you don't complain because that's not really your nature. But right. uh, what have you written about lately you've gotten some good response on? Uh, well, I wrote a, kind of a review of a story named um, An Elephant, a, a true story on an elephant named Modoc, And it was all about surviving life's difficulties. And regardless of what was given to Modoc and his, his owner, um, as they went through different parts of the world and different circuses and what have you, um, was shot at and all sorts of things that happened to poor Modoc. Um, at the very end of the story, Modoc danced and chose to dance and, and did its little routine and its old age. And after all the, the trauma that the elephant had been through, they were in a shipwreck and floated in the ocean for days and mm. near death so many different times, abused by different animals animal trainers in the circus, and it was this big adventure. And it really inspired me, and I was thinking of that yesterday when God was speaking to me about complaining, because, you know, our trials are supposed to be shaping us for eternity. And so when I'm driving in the car and crying, why me, God, why are you doing this right now? Or Jericho Girls, this is too much, and I'm doing it all myself, right? That's that kind of funk I've been in lately. And um, I kind of look back to that. So I got a lot of feedback on that blog about um, just dancing and looking to a bigger picture, looking uh, heaven bound, if you will, when you're going through all those trials, because God is shaping you spiritually. And um, there's something bigger going on. It's like Beatrice said yesterday when we were uh, speaking together, she said, well, it's not about you, boo. You know, there's a bigger (laughs) picture and, you know, somebody needs your story or someone needs to hear your struggles and what have you. So, yeah, that was the most recent one. But I think I'm going to write this week on complaining. So I love that there's uh, besides Gwen Rich, whose book is, you know, about not complaining and she's dealing with cancer. We also um, 
uh, we're talking with her about, um, you know, how to stop complaining yesterday. Right. And I think as a Christian, it's just not a good testimony to be a complainer. It doesn't really make Jesus shine. You're not like a bright light if you're a complainer. But I, I like the title of this other book that she quoted. It's um, uh, Will Bowen's book, A Complaint-Free World, How to Stop Complaining and Start Enjoying the Life You Always Wanted. Oh, you know, nice. to like stop being a victim, get out of your own way, get out of the victim chair and like, come on, live a life, yes. you know? Yeah, and I've, I've gotten out of my cycle. I'm like, okay, God, I hear you, fine. Um, but what I found, too, and I wanted to talk to her more, and our interviews always go so fast, but um, she had said, be open to, you know, if you want to change or complaining. And um, one thing, uh, I heard a quote saying, the old adage of it takes two does not apply. It only takes one. When oh, you yeah. change, the relationship changes. And so, you know, like we were talking about your mom, you mean you can talk to her till you're blue in the face, but oh, until she wants like, to change, she's not going to. My kid even said that. My kid said in the car when I was telling my mom on the way back from a game when she'd picked another fight with somebody or gotten really angry, someone yeah. was standing in her way and embarrassed my daughter. Um, I said, um, my kid said, um, you, mom, you keep repeating yourself. I said, I know. I just feel like I'm talking with a brick wall with right. my mom about like, please stop complaining so much. Stop being so negative. Don't. And it's so funny. <laughs> my kids, they like quoted me back something I said later and I laughed that, you know, they listened to every word sure. today as <laughs> I was course. trying to tell my mom to, you know, not complain. I'm like, I have a beautiful family. I, you know that we didn't have a good life when I was a kid. Uh, I want I want to enjoy this time. Right. Stop coming in and putting your negativity onto my family. Yes. You know? Well, it's one way she can pull you in and feel like you care and that you're close if you're repeating those same cycles. So if you step out of that cycle and be like, you know what, Mom? I love you. And if you want to complain, we'll leave you here in the basement. Yeah. We'll be here at the games. And yeah. when you want to change it up, let us know. We'd love to have you. Hey, my, my husband put you her know? on probation. She can't go to the games. She's, like, she's out. Time yeah, out for she's Mom. Like, she's grounded yeah. from the games. Yeah. Too what were we going to say, Eric? Uh, you know, I... I don't have a, a dog in the fight of uh, complaining or not. I try to be as positive as I possibly can. I used to have that issue, uh, and I, I had a come-to-Jesus moment uh, with, with my business partner. She basically said, hey, listen, uh, you don't have it bad. You've got it good, you know, and, and just knock it off. And from that moment on, it shifted. I mean, everything wow. shifted for me. Wow. Um, but I am going to write a book. Oh, All right, okay. good. Do you have your gonna, title? Yeah, I do. What it, is it? It's an autobiography, or no, it's yeah. Well, no, it's a biography, not autobiography. Uh, it's called Donna Hessler, <laughs> Ministry Woman. Ministry yeah, Woman. Yeah. There you go. Yes, ministry Woman. I like that. Your bestseller. Yes, I like that a lot. All right, Dave, we've got a good news story. You want to uh, fill us in? Yeah, this is a great story. This is Boyd Hoopert from Care 11 and the land of 10,000 uh, stories. We we have him a lot on the show a lot. Uh, he's just very, very positive. I know you tell the story about how he very much like you did hard news, and he was like, no, I don't want to do this. I want to do good news. And they didn't believe him, but that it blew up on the Internet. And so, mm -hmm. and so he gets to do this all the time now. But this um, – story is about a woman who her little daughter had an epileptic seizure and the fire a fireman came and helped save her well about a year after that happened this woman found out that that same fireman needed a kidney oh. wow. and then she stepped up in an incredible way a high school girls softball coach good eye claire good eye already has plenty to do Run it! And Becca Bundy, with four girls to raise. This is Hadley. Definitely. Didn't need anything else on her plate. 
Yet, just last fall, there she was, at home. Yep. Poised to take on something more. And somebody needed help, right? A benefit for a neighbor brought Becca and her husband to Viking Bar, where she couldn't miss the bartender in the brightly colored t-shirt. It says, my name is Bill. I'm in end-stage kidney failure and in need of a kidney. Bill Cox and his wife Terry were that desperate. No energy. Born missing a kidney. Sleeping a lot. Bill's only working one yeah. was shutting down two. He's been on the transplant list for a little over a year, year yeah. and a half probably. When who should spot his plea shirt? I couldn't get it out of my head. But Becca. I just said I'm the one and I know it. And turns out Becca so. had encountered Bill before. Call on the scanner. Bill the bartender is also Bill the volunteer firefighter who heard the call two years ago about the little girl. Yeah. Unconscious after a seizure. Becca's then one-year-old daughter, Hadley. And Bill was the one who was the first responder that came here. I thought that was one way that, you know, I could certainly say thank you. That's Becca and Bill at University of Minnesota Medical Center, where her matching kidney... Hi, Bill. ...became his. Doing okay. I feel pretty blessed to be chosen to be on his journey with him. Becca, the kidney donor who feels she's the one who's been given the gift. Yep. And Bill, the kidney recipient, left to conclude... She's an angel. Which is why the woodcarver who's decorated his home with fowl and fish Hand carved. carved his first celestial being for Becca. It'll watch over all of us here. Why? Bartender and customer now regularly Hi. get together. How are you guys? Good, good, good. How about you? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. Why? Pictures drawn by Becca's kids now grace Bill's refrigerator. We don't have any grandkids. One, two, three. And why? Let's go! Just beyond the infield fence at the Northwoods High School softball game, you'll find Bill and Terry. Yeah, we've got a little bit of a connection now with the girls' softball. So, <laughs> Last fall, Keep your head in there. Becca Bundy Let's go. walked into a bar. Hadley, how old are you now? Three! <laughs> Who knew, nine months later, this is paper. they would all be sharing pieces there you go. of each other. Ready? I want you to push me. Okay. It is that lifetime bond that'll never go away. <laughs> Boy Dupert, Carol Evan News. Good hit, Kara. Cook. All right, what do you think? I think God is the great dot connector. I love all right. the different instances where he connected their lives together. Yeah. And I think we that happens to us quite a bit, and we just go, wow, that's strange. You know, what a small world, or, you know, the yeah, power. Yeah, we, we of... overlook the magnitude yes. of what just took place. I mean, the, the guy's been on the kidney donor list for a year and a half. Yep. Uh, and, and I've known many, many friends who have been on those kinds of lists or, or needing other organs. And, you know, the, the idea that somebody that you touched so long ago would come out and be that one. I know, I know, I know married couples who have been donors for each other. Oh wow! You know, mm -hmm. and, and the, the, the odds against that mm -hmm. are so ridiculously staggering. That's true. It's a total god thing. Yes.
I think it's a God thing, too. You know, one of our producers here, Steve, uh, he works on, on the morning show on KLZ, where I have my show with Angie and Mike. Um, he, uh, his wife at church just heard that the guy needed a kidney. She didn't even know him. And she said, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to donate my kidney. And so he was like, what? And I, what? And I get to see, you know, you know, right. they're not like in their twenties, you know. Right. And uh, so anyway, she did it, and he's like a brother to her. They came on the show and did an interview with us here on the Good News, and wow, you know, she didn't even tell the guy. Pamela yes. Meyer too. Pamela Meyer, uh, she's yep. a friend of the show. Yeah. And um, she had kidney failure, mm-hmm. and her husband was her matched, husband. and her yep. husband gave her his kidney. It was one of the ones That's I was talking about. Right yeah. Wow. When I uh, was at Overwhelmed Conference last year, a That's woman... That's her conference for Jericho conference. Girls. Yep. Uh, a woman came up to me, and she said, a friend uh, brought me here, and um, I just feel like I need to start a Jericho Girls group, and she has retreat homes in uh, Blackhawk, next to Central City, up in the mountains. And um, she goes, I just feel like God's doing something so much bigger, Donna. I can't even tell you what it is. So I'm like, okay, let's just go with it. She started a, a group up there. And in the meantime, a couple of months ago, I was talking with her how it's going. And I said, you know, God's put on my heart to partner with another nonprofit ministry. And I was in this office and I got this, I was doing a, an appointment in an office in Parker. And there was a little gal that was selling breads there right? And so she represented Treasure House of Hope and the women from addiction and what have you. So I took her brochure and told her about Jericho Girls and what have you and kind of left it at that. Well, when I'm talking to Deborah, who's running the Blackhawk Jericho Girls, she's like, well, I was just going to talk to you about that. My stepdaughter went through the program and I was going to suggest that you connect with them. And then as I connected with them and did a little retreat with them, it turned out they knew Beatrice and one of the ladies in the group was also friends with our original Jericho girls and it's just like all inner God connected there's just it's a lot of stuff and you're going wow so I would challenge the listener to you know when you have those bump ins or those you know God winks or coincidences whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. them that you would stop and say okay God what are you doing here because there's obviously something bigger brewing and if we could just take the time to recognize that I think it would be huge well, and the effort, you know, the effort to read to go up to Black Hawk and yes. meet with them, and then the effort to get to know this woman that, you know, the selling the bread, what's your nonprofit, what do you do? And, right. you know, it takes energy, effort, you know, work to That's make, been part of my forge, complaining, right? To forge these relationships. Yes, because I'm going, God, you know, I, I need somebody else to step up to meet and to talk to some of these leaders, and I can't do it all, you know, and had a board meeting fall apart for our conference on Saturday, and I'm like, nobody cares. It's only me. I'm just driving the bus, you know, doing all of that. And so that's where God's been speaking to my heart about. But yeah, so just stepping back a little bit and realizing God's up to something, and if it seems overwhelming or maybe not overwhelming. Oh, well, that's weird, you know. Just kind of see what God's up to in your life. Solid stuff all the way. And, and uh, like I said, I think so many times we overlook it. I think that uh, I, I sat in on a, a sermon uh, my pastor last Sunday talked about prayer, and his series is called A Healthy Disconnect, right? And it's talking about our misconception that prayer is a one-way conversation with God. Right. Because, you know, many times that's exactly where we stand is that we think it's just a one way conversation with God. And we're telling God what we're telling him, whatever that may be. But how do we how do we get back? And the the point was to be still Hmm. and to listen, Uh, because if we can be still and we can listen and we can get rid of the 
um, the, the, the noise. Yes. Right? It's the whole be still and know that I am God. Right. Which is scripture. And when you talk, you know, when you think about that, talking to God, talking to anyone, look at, look at any relationship. If you just have uh, a conversation towards your spouse or your significant other, and you don't do any listening, you're not talking. I tried to tell my <laughs> husband that. I said, it's like a tennis game. Like, I go, you go. I go, you go. Because when he's mad, right? he thinks he gets like half an hour. I'm like, <laughs> no, I actually speak during that time. Like, you don't present every point, And then I like have a pen, and I write down all my responses. And then I respond at the end. We're not like in court. So imagine, it goes like a volleyball game. Like, yeah. I hit the ball. You hit the You talk. I talk. So <laughs> imagine how the good Lord feels. Right, when, when we, we do what my husband does. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to reinforce that. But, but, but you know, when, when we're doing all the talking and making all the demands right. and telling God these are my terms. And we're never still. Right? We never, and we're never still trying to find out what, what is his plan. Cause, well, how do you guys listen? Because the only way I can do it is to write. And I mean write like I'm in prayer yeah. and then I start writing. And that's the only time I feel like sometimes when I'm writing that I get direction that I don't feel is my will yeah yep yeah there's there's that and i can see that i'm a creative as well and i tend to to do things like that that uh, help me kind of see things through i study the word i think he's already talking to us that's right through his written word right um and then i listen to uh a a, a group of counsel right because there's wisdom when True. there's uh, a multitude of counselors and then i, I just sometimes have to be quiet and you know, I've never done this yet, but I think this is on my agenda to do. Uh, you know those those float things now where people are just floating. Deprivation uh, tank. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, uh -huh. it's a sensory deprivation. De Deprivation tank. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking float like illusionist. As no, I'm no, looking no, no, at no. you, I'm like, yes. No. Well, maybe. Tanks. Yeah. Tank. It's like salt water. No. Salt water float. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And uh, and and it is. It's sensory deprivation, and it gives you this opportunity to, like, truly disconnect and wow. talk about being still everyone i've spoken to including my pastor who who does this he says that's the key he says he is he has found a new level of peace quietness stillness where he can truly just kind of tap into the lord yeah i have Ooh, one friend nice. that said he compared it to like a vision quest Really? When he did it, that he just was so relaxed and so it was like this weird dream where he figured his. It's, his it's universe bizarre out the first time, as I have understood. You know, again, I haven't done it yet, but I, you know, I yeah, hear. Yeah, but he loved it. It's 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 kind of weird because you you think you're you know you think you're going to die after five minutes because there's nothing coming you're in. In a tank, yeah. You're in this tank, but uh, within one or two two visits, he tells a story that uh, he's come to this place where he can't do do a week without it. That's, That's your cool. pastor. That's my pastor. Wow. Yeah, it's hard to get that still. It is. To get that kind of peace. Um, our friend Robbie Yope, she talks about doing the WOG, Weekend Alone with God, Total Silence. Yes. And then she'll tell me, well, Angie, if you can't do that, do the HOG, the Hour Alone with God. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, and you just go to a park and maybe bring a notebook. Because I think that we get so caught up in the busyness of life. And, and I'd spoken with a pastor once that said that he thinks that's one of the biggest problems with our society is the uh, addiction to busyness, the busyness of life. Right. Yeah. And just doing. And I've got to just stop the committee in my head 
the manager, the little girl, the fearful one, you know, the real estate, the ministry, Donna, all those, I got to stop the committee in my head and be like, all right, everybody just sit down. Everybody sit down at the table. We got to hear from God here. <laughs> but writing too is, is a good outlet because- And not a book, I just journal. Journal, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I journal because there's something about the pen and the page that's that, right. you know, as you write, there's some things where like, ooh, I didn't realize- Oh, that's not me. That's God speaking. You know, yeah. I wouldn't have come up with that. So right. you're so right on. The terminology I'll feel isn't mine when I'm writing yes. and trying to listen per se. All right, uh, Eric, you're doing PR. You've got Illusion coming up. People can find Eric Raymer on Facebook and your website. PRmediacoach.com. And if you need a website rebuilt and spruced up, uh, Producer Dave is doing podcasts as well for people. If you've ever wanted to do a podcast, where do they go for that, Dave? Dkeda Media. Dkeeda Media, and that's K-I-E-T-A. And Donna? JerichoGirls.org. Excellent. And if you want to reach out to me, AngieAustinRadio.com. AngieAustinRadio.com. We'll be right back with the good news. The good news of Jesus for you in high-definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. Hi, it's Angie. Hey, do you have a lot of things around your house you want to get rid of? My husband wants me to get rid of anything and everything that is in his way. 303-238-JANE. I love ARC. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps and everything you donate helps. 303-238-JANE. They bring a truck right to my house. I actually have them come every month or two and it is so helpful to get that place cleaned out because you know what? My husband's a lot nicer to me when I donate things and who better to donate to than ARC? 303-238-JANE and arcthrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. arcthrift.org, shopping with a purpose. I love Ark. YMCA of the Rockies in Estes Park is an ideal family vacation. Come visit and be inspired by our surroundings. At YMCA of the Rockies, you can fill your days and nights with our fun, family-friendly programs and activities. This summer, YMCA has tons of fun and excitement planned for your family, and soon you can bring the entire family when we introduce our new dog park and dog-friendly activities. Whether you are looking for a harrowing adventure or just a relaxing stroll near Rocky Mountain National Park, YMCA can set you on your way. YMCA of the Rockies is the ideal family vacation located in a stunning environment that helps build healthy minds, bodies, and spirits for all. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we love to provide real bonding experiences for families of all sizes. Go to ymcarockies.org. Fill your next family vacation with fun, exciting, and affordable adventures at YMCA of the Rockies. Go to ymcarockies.org to book your stay today. Hey 
Angie Austin here, along with Dr. Ron Welch. He's with the Denver Seminary, and he is a professor, and he is an author as well. He's a professor of counseling in the Division of Counseling at Denver Seminary. And he's been married a long time, and uh, he has uh, a wonderful wife. And we're going to talk about forgiveness in marriage and how you work through those bumpy spots in marriage and uh, how you go on staying married, because forgiveness really does make a marriage go round. Welcome, Dr. Dr. Ron Welch, good to have you back. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you. All right. I love how you start this segment because uh, you send me notes, and the first thing it says is forgiveness is a choice. And a lot of people think, oh, no, no, I just can't. I can't forgive. I really believe it is. It's And it's a choice you make over and over again. For some people, they, they don't even necessarily know what they mean by forgiveness. Um, and, and I think it has something to do with treating the person the way you would as if they had never done what they did. Right. So instead of just saying, I'm sorry, but I'm going to hold this against you or I I forgive you, but I certainly know exactly what you did. Um, There's something about forgiveness that involves treating the person the way you would have if they hadn't wronged you. Well, that's interesting. Just deciding to treat them as you would if they hadn't wronged you. Well, think about it. If you're continuing to respond to someone based on what they did to you then you're basically keeping a bit of a scorecard and saying, I know I forgive you, but I'm, I'm really going to make certain that I don't take the chance on being vulnerable to you again because you hurt me before and you might do it again. And then you change the way you interact with them and you're always kind of wary and not really certain you can trust them. Right. And you can't really have a good relationship if you're always on edge, kind of uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop and kind of being prepared for betrayal. Exactly. It's almost as if you're expecting them to fail and you know who they really are and they're the person that hurt you before. And it's just going to be a matter of time, no matter how many weeks or months they've been different, you know they're going to go back to being that person that hurts you. So you're just waiting for that to happen. So is that one of the reasons that couples don't forgive because they don't think the other person's capable of change? They just don't believe that them. I think so. I think some people look at that and they say, well, if, if I forgive you, it, I, I'm, I'm going to have to expect that you're a better person than your behavior showed you to be. And I don't really think you will change. And I don't think you really mean that you're going to change. So why would I really forgive you? I'm probably better off and safer to just keep being kind of wary of you and, and keep a wall between us. Okay. So that's a reason that people, uh, that couples don't forgive, that they don't believe the other person's capable of change or don't think they will change. What are some other reasons that couples choose not to forgive that you've worked with? Well, in some cases, I think somebody believes the other partner's capable of change. They've seen that happen in the past, but they're not sure that they really want to change this time. So say someone has hurt you in some way and said they would be there for you, didn't have your back, stab you in the back in some way, caused difficulty and hurt. And, and you know they ca- they're capable of acting differently because you've seen them do it in other parts of your life or other times. And your partner has been there and been able to be that person in the past. But right now they're so angry or frustrated or justified that they kind of think to themselves, yeah, I could I could change and be the kind of person that would be the best version of myself. I just don't really want to. And the partner knows that. So they don't trust them to do it. Okay, All right. So that's one of the reasons couples don't forgive. And I hear this one a lot. Uh, I can forgive, but I won't forget. Is that really forgiving? I, I have a real problem with that because people say that a lot. And it's sort of like. You want to forgive 
and and feel better saying that you forgave the person, especially if your faith or your understanding of the kind of person you're supposed to be says you're supposed to forgive. Right. But you don't really want to actually give up the power and some of the things that are involved with maintaining resentment and bitterness. So you forgive, but you make sure you keep that scorecard. And right now, you know, you're up seven to two, so they still owe you about five things. Interesting. Okay. So reasons couples uh, don't forgive. Uh, they don't think that the person is capable of change. They don't want to change. Or there's the I will forgive but not forget excuse, which really is a slippery slope of forgiveness. It's kind of halfway to forgiveness. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, four possible steps in forgiveness because some people just want to know how to do it. Do you find that in your counseling uh, with you know couples that they just don't really know how to start? I do. And I I found out people don't even understand, really, they don't have a model of what forgiveness actually even is. And I've I've followed and looked at a lot of what the Catholic Church does, because people don't like even some of the words they use. You know, when you you look at the the steps in, in forgiving someone and being forgiven. But the Catholic Church came up with an idea a while back that said forgiveness isn't just really something that happens just because you're supposed to. It's it's a process between two people where it's an earned forgiveness. Okay. It's it's okay. not like you, you know, you said I'm sorry. You know that the two strangest words in the English language now are I'm sorry or my and now it now it's just my, my bad, bad, right? Yeah, it's it, you don't even have to do anything. It's just my bad, didn't mean to do it. And then yeah, I just wrecked your car, but my bad, sorry. And, you know, and that really causes difficulty. So I think what it starts with is an apology where somebody says, I'm sorry, meaning I'm going to try really, really hard never to do that again. And I don't think everybody means that when they say that I'm sorry. I think sometimes they mean, yeah, I wish that hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. But they don't mean I really am going to work hard to be the kind of person that won't do that again. Okay. All right. So a legit apology. And if you're going to be sincere, you know how people talk about a sincere apology? I'll ask my classes all the time when I'm teaching, what does sincerity look like? What does an authentic apology look like? And they talk about the look on people's faces and how sad they look about what they did. But what we're really talking about is what the Catholic Church calls repentance, which is this idea of saying, I'm going to put in time and energy and effort to really work hard to figure out why I did it and figure out a way not to do it again. Okay. All right. So four possible steps in forgiveness and apology, repentance, and then number three would be? Then you get to the other side of the ledger where the person who offended has already apologized, tried really hard to understand what it is I did and why and not be that person. Now the person who was wronged or offended against has to start their part in the process where they start saying, I'm going to hold you accountable and I want to work with you to help you be that best person you can be. And part of that is working with you to, to, to kind of have a, an agreement that we're not going to be that way as, as people again. So if I've been hurt by you as my marriage partner, I'm going to hold you accountable and say, you know what, that's not okay. I'm not going to allow that to happen in the future. I'm going to point it out when it happens. Okay. So accountability. And then is there some expectation then that You don't want to doubt them right through the whole process. That wouldn't work. So the expectation of success, expecting success, expecting for this to work, that these steps of forgiveness will result in an actual uh, healed marriage. 
Well, and that's what we talked about earlier when we said treating your partner as if he or she never did what they did. The reason I put it that way, and some people don't like that at all. It's like, well, that's not fair. That, that I should be able to, you know, I don't want to forgive and not forget. The, the difficulty is if you don't expect them to be capable of succeeding, then you know what happens when we expect failure. We tend to get exactly what we expect, and it's that self-fulfilling prophecy. So I really believe the last part in that forgiveness process is to really believe and support and be a part of the team with your partner to help them become that person that will be the partner you believe they're capable of being. I like it. I like that you've given so many specifics on like the road to forgiveness, that forgiveness is a choice. And then with the apology, the repentance, the accountability and expecting success. And just want to add, uh, you've written a book uh, and it was specifically about the issues in your marriage and that you use some of this in order to uh, rekindle that love in your marriage and that forgiveness. And how long have you been married now? 32 years. Wow. And it's a different marriage than it was before, isn't it? It is, yeah. In the, in that book, The Controlling Husband, we we talked a lot about how Jan and I went through a whole developmental process of her forgiving me for a lot of the things I did wrong, being a part of the like team Ron, you know, trying to say, hey, I believe you can be better, and me being motivated by that to want to be the best person I can because of how how much I see us working together to make that happen. I love that. All right, tell us uh, the, the title of your book and also your website so we can find you. The, the book is called The Controlling Husband, What Every Woman Needs to Know. And my website is transformational-marriage.com. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Ron Welch. Always a pleasure to have you. Next time, we'll talk about what we need to know about forgiveness and just talking a little bit more about forgiveness and marriage and relationships. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Great to be with you. Angie Austin here, Angie Austin and Mike Opelka show. And, uh, you know, marriage, Mike's been married uh, almost headed towards three decades now. I'm at the 14 year mark. And forgiveness is something that, you know, crops up. I think it's the secret really to a happy marriage for me. At least it is. I'll apologize at the drop of a hat if I think that it's something that will get us over a bump in the road. And my husband always follows suit. But they, they can't be just empty words. We talked last time with Dr. Ron Welch about forgiveness and marriage. And we talked about forgiveness being a choice and the four possible steps in in an apology, the apology, the repentance, accountability uh, between the two of you and expecting success, believing your partner is capable of changing their behavior and being a better spouse or partner in marriage. And Dr. Ron Welch is back with us. Uh, Dr. Ron Welch is an author. He's a professor with the Denver Seminary, and he is uh, a speaker as well, and has joined us numerous times on the show. And we're going to continue this uh, forgiveness uh, discussion, Dr. Ron Welch. Welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're going to talk this time about what we need to know about forgiveness. Now, specifically marriage, but a lot of us will work um, in other relationships as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, this is a process that you can use with your friends, with family, with parents and children. Um, there's so many times when we just feel trapped because in the relationship, in a marriage, for instance, something has happened and we just feel locked in to, to the emotional experiences and the power of the pain and resentment and bitterness. And one of the things people, there's several things people don't really understand about the consequences of what we would call unforgiveness. But unforgiveness is, is that process where we know we probably could let it go. We could, we could move past it, but we really don't want to. And one of the reasons that we don't is that you have to give up some power. If you hold something against someone, remain bitter, remain resentful, you actually have some power over them. It's like you're one up on them. Oh, they yeah. owe you. 
And you know what that's like, right? Because it's like, well, remember last time when you did that? I think you owe me now. And and in relationships where there isn't love and intimacy and connection, if it's a business partnership where you're trying to negotiate with a competitor, that might be some way that you could live if you were trading off who owed who the next business lunch or whatever. But when it's <laughs> that doesn't work in a marriage where you no. basically say, okay, I'm up on you and you owe me. Yeah, That's that, real that problem will not work. That will not That's work. Mm-mm. Okay, so uh, what we need to know about forgiveness, forgiveness involves giving up power, so you're not the one over the other one and kind of in control. And I love what you say next about forgiveness not being fair. Forgiveness isn't fair. No, and the funny thing is it's not supposed to be. It's not like you forgive them and the tables are equal. They hurt you and you felt pain or resentment or you felt anger or you lost something that was important to you or you didn't get your way they hurt you and you 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 almost feel like if i forgive them they get to get away with it like they get away scot free and they didn't get punished for it but that's kind of the underlying purpose in forgiveness right is to say i'm not going to enforce punishment in fact many many of these in relationships and marriage some of the couples i work with seem to think it's their job to punish the other person for what they did wrong and i don't think that works in many relationships i don't think it works that well in parenting or a lot of other situations necessarily as as and it certainly doesn't work in a marriage for you to think that you're going to have to give the other person person their penance for what they did Oh, that's interesting. That's not fair. That's not supposed to be. And that's why it is forgiveness. It's you making the choice to do this. And you're not giving the other person a free pass and saying they can get away with it. That's a multi-step process. Okay, so again, we're talking about forgiveness in marriage, Dr. Ron Welch. And then we talk about forgiveness involves helping your partner change. Explain that. Because is that being one up on them or no? Well, remember we talked about before the, the idea of this being a progressive process where somebody apologizes and then repents and really works hard to try to figure out what they could do differently and how they could be a better person. And then when you say, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving you, you're saying, I'm going to try to do my best to treat you as if you didn't do what you did. I'm going to help you be a better person. Well, you can't keep trying to be one up. You can't keep trying to punish the other person, make sure they pay for their sins if if you're going to work with them to try and be a better person. So the only way you can help your partner change and expect them to succeed at that is to let go of that desire and the power that it involves to be at a, at a, at a, a different power differential than the other person. Well, and you say that your partner needs your help to be better, but I also feel that your partner needs your confidence in them, your belief in them, yes. your, your support, your love in them in order for, for them to be better. That's how we help them to be better. We believe that they're capable of being better. That is so right, Angie, because otherwise you're just waiting for them to fail. Right. And man, people will people will come through. If you expect them to fail, they'll be glad to fail for you. How come that makes us feel more secure in our forgiveness if we expect them to fail? Like we're like, well, we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Then do we think we'll be less disappointed? I think so. I think it's a vulnerability thing. It's it's this idea that, you know, if I never get back on the horse, I can't fall off. So it's probably safer not to get back on the horse. And we don't feel like it's as risky because if we trust them again, gosh, we're opening ourselves up to being hurt again. And we'd, we'd really rather not do that. 
Interesting. All right. Uh, forgiveness of major major betrayals like affairs. And we've seen some well-known relationships, and I'm sure you and your counseling have seen relationships come back from affairs. Some people just say it's over, it's done, uh, it's a done deal. And there are things like violence as well and abuse that I think people walk away from. But even that, I is that something as well that um, can eventually be worked through and forgiven if behavior changes? I think there are there are always possibilities of people being able to change and and live differently. Um, if if my wife hadn't seen that in me and expected that that I could be a better person and seen the person the husband that she thought I was capable of being rather than the way I was in the early years of our marriage, then man, I I wouldn't have had a chance to become that person either. But but there are certain behaviors, there are you know dangerous, violent kind of behaviors um, that that you have to deal with safety first and get out of the situation and, and get in, in, in areas where the, the domestic violence offender, for instance, can get treatment and help and the victim can, can be in victim's assistance programs and places where they can heal each individually. And then sometimes the therapists involved or the treatment professionals may make the decision to see if there's ways to get them back together. But a lot of times it's not so much actual violence or it's maybe the threat or the intimidation or it's someone who had an affair or someone who was was hurtful and mean and and those betrayals really feel personal it, mm-hmm. when you have something like sexual betrayal involved or affairs it, it's or pornography i mean it, it feels like this person just you know took a knife and stabbed you right in the back that's really hard to to forgive now we've mentioned in the past that you've been married now 32 years how many of those years were you controlling you know i i wish i could say i remember on our first wedding anniversary my wife said i was treating her like a bird in a gilded cage and you know you'd think i could I would have learned and said, oh, yay, I turned myself around. But it was probably more like 10 or 12 years well into the relationship. Um, And it wasn't until I saw that I was training my sons to be the same way, to treat women that way, to treat her that way. And I started realizing how much my sons were being taught by me how to be controlling themselves that I realized, wow, I, I can't continue to be this kind of person any longer. Wow. All right. So these uh, we're on the topic of forgiveness of major betrayals like affairs. So you said those betrayals are very personal and that resentment, that feeling of hurt, the bitterness, the anger can really last a long time. It can, especially when, I mean, for for people in your audience, they may be thinking about an affair. I deal with couples who are saying, okay, we're on our third affair. Oh. Right. You know, so you have all sorts of repeated betrayals and there's times when couples are in counseling and they're lying about the fact that they're still having an affair while they're in counseling. So you have this process of repeated lies or repeated behaviors that go along with those major betrayals. A lot of times people are leaving double lives, Angie, where they're they're living one life with the affair and another life with their family. And there's just so much betrayal and lying that it takes a long, long time for someone to be able to say, oh, when he says he's golfing, he's actually golfing. Because in the past, when he said he was golfing, he was with her. Mm-hmm. That's that's hard to believe and expect success. So it's it's another level. That's a lot of times where you need professional help and you need a professional licensed therapist involved to be able to help you work through the lengthy process of what that type of forgiveness looks like. 
Well, I, I know your wife, and I, I just I, I love hearing um, you know advice from you because you work with so many couples, and because you've made your marriage uh, you know turn around from a marriage that wasn't so happy when you were controlling to a, a happy marriage, and that's a beautiful thing to witness. And uh, I love the fact that your sons brought that to your attention just through their own behavior, and that you went, "Wow, I've got to stop this now." So, uh, uh, Dr. Ron Welch, where do we find you and uh, your website, your book? Uh, the book, uh, first book I wrote is called The Controlling Husband, What Every Woman Needs to Know. And the website is transformational-marriage.com. Excellent. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. Great to be with you. Hello, my name is Donna. I worked for the ARC for six years, and I loved every second. And I love working for the ARC. My favorite thing working for the ARC is I love everything about it. I love my managers and my coworkers, and it's just a pleasant place. And it's a place where you feel safe and loved, and they treat you like a family. The best deal I found at the ARC is I found a brand new litter box for my cat. <laughs> Call 303-238-JANE. 303-238-JANE. Or visit arcthrift.org. Please do your shopping at the ARC because you're shopping with the purpose. Hi, it's Angie. Thanks so much for listening to the good news. If you like the good news program and you'd like to support us, we need to partner up with businesses to keep this show going. I'd really like to keep it on the air and I need advertisers in order to do that. And I'd love to partner with you and help you build your business or your website. Maybe you're a nonprofit and you'd like to do an interview and you'd like to donate to us so that we can help you get donations as well. AngieAustinRadio.com. AngieAustinRadio.com. Just click on contact me. I would would love to partner up with you. I think this is a great program. We've been on the air for about seven years now, and I think a lot of people have gotten a ray of sunshine and some faith and even a little fun from this program. So if you'd like to support us, please go to AngieAustinRadio.com. We would like to help you build your business or nonprofit as well. AngieAustinRadio.com and click on contact. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you build your business. Michael Pelka here. We have a very special interview coming up. In fact, our guest is on the line right now. Waiting to speak to us is Vice Admiral, retired Vice Admiral, John Byrd from the United States Navy. John is currently the Senior VP of Military Affairs with the financial services company, USAA. And in this partnered interview, we're going to talk with John about something special happening in D.C., something to help kick off Memorial Day weekend and to highlight the meaning of Memorial Day. And, uh, Admiral, uh, I think it's really important that we try and help more civilians understand the meaning of Memorial Day because Memorial Day means so much to the men and women serving in the country and the families who've lost someone in service to this country. But we hope that projects like yours will bring a better understanding and appreciation of Memorial Day. Mike, you're exactly right. Uh, it does mean a lot to everybody serving and serve, but every American should cherish this holiday, should see this as a sacred holiday because while we can never pay the debt we owe men and women that fell in service to our country, we can certainly never forget, and that's what this holiday is all about. 
Yeah, a lot of folks don't realize Memorial Day really is not about barbecues, but it's about remembering the people who gave their lives in order so that we can have those barbecues. And and, and what you're doing, sir, with um, USAA is making that uh, more present in people's minds. Let's talk about this poppy memory wall. Sure, Mike. Uh, you're exactly right in that USAA, who was founded by the military for the military, sees it pretty much in our DNA to raise awareness about the greatness of our military. And most importantly, among the greatness of our military is those men and women that paid the ultimate sacrifice. And this wall behind me, or this wall where I'm located today, has 645,000 poppies, each one representing a man or woman who lost their lives in service to our country since World War One? Okay. Well, this this stunning wall is uh, eight and a half feet tall and stretches 133 feet long, right there on the National Mall in D.C. If you're in the neighborhood, you should go and and be a part of it and experience this, so you'll have a a grasp on the magnitude of the people who sacrificed and the families who sacrificed for this country. But uh, Vice Admiral Byrd, people can also get involved virtually as well. How do they do that? Mike, uh, you can do it virtually, and we would encourage folks to do it, whether they have the opportunity to visit the wall or not. Uh, Go to poppyandmemory.com, and you can go online there, and you can dedicate a digital or virtual poppy to some American hero who paid the ultimate sacrifice, either someone you know, family, friend, or look up in the history books or online and find a hero who died for our country and dedicate the poppy to them. So everybody can participate, and we want them to do it. Taking a few moments amongst, as you said, the barbecues and the, the sales, take some time to remember those who gave it all. I think this is a great project for parents to show their kids, because if you're not in D.C. and you can't go down there, you can take your kid online and explain the history of Memorial Day, explain the significance and how the poppy is tied to Memorial Day, and maybe even read John McRae's poem in Flanders Fields, and then dedicate a poppy. All you have to do is go to poppyinmemory.com, and you can do it right there. You don't have to leave home. I, I would love to see that happen sir i just i don't think we get enough history in our schools and what you're doing here is using technology to maybe bring the kids back into the history and that's such a great idea and mike let me just add that you know it's not only remembering the fallen but by doing this and show our reverence for those men and women i think we ensure that our national character remains strong and then men and women going forward will volunteer to serve. That's uh, such a great point, because we do have a military that was once uh, a conscription and was once uh, filled with a draft, and now this United States military, all its various branches, are predominantly staffed by people who made a choice to defend this country, and uh, we need to make sure that tradition continues in as strong a fashion as it can. Again, this memorial by the uh, Lincoln Memorial and the Korean war memorial you can find it there by the reflecting pool it's open from may 24th today 
through Sunday. So if you're in the neighborhood, you can get down there. Uh, Vice Admiral Byrd, again, sir, thank you for your service. And thanks to USAA for putting the poppyinmemory.com event together. Thank you, Mike. And serving our nation was an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for helping us raise awareness. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.